All right, uh, we are live, and I'm excited. We have another great guest today. So Andy Flatterly is a CFP. He's the owner of Simple Wealth Planning in North Kansas City, Missouri, and works with young and affluent families, early stages of wealth building. Previously, Andy worked for some big name firms. Um, we're not even going to give him any credence on this podcast. We're just going to skip over him. And uh, Andy loves to do a lot of stuff, has a big family. Uh, happy uh, belated Father's Day, Andy. Um, hopefully it was great on your end. Thank you. And one of the big things that Andy also does is he is the host of the Reformed Financial Advisor podcast. There's someone else that has this reform name I don't care too much about. Maybe we can get into him <laughs> later, but uh, I do like you, Andy. So I'm glad you're here. And you're also the brains behind the Bitcoin Financial Advisor Network, or BFAN, as I call it. I don't think anyone else calls it that. Um, but uh, Andy, welcome. Thanks for coming on. Isaiah and Trent, great to be here. Thanks for having me. So I think the first question that I typically ask advisors that are into Bitcoin or interested in it is like how and why? Because I think there's usually kind of two areas that people come into Bitcoin. It's either from the, the monetary side or the technology side. And I'm, I'm curious, Andy, based on what I know about you, I'm assuming it's the monetary side, but uh, can you kind of give us the, you know, why Bitcoin and maybe how many, how many touches was it before you adopted it or was it Hey, I heard about it the first time. It seems like a great idea, and and off and away I go. Yeah, I mean, I think my story is pretty typical. I I would call myself, I would classify myself as a class of 2021 Bitcoiner in in the sense that that is where I first bought. And um, my my journey in terms of how I got there was many years of sort of fighting this thing, but also having a lot of sympathies for things like Austrian economics and sound money. I was never a gold bug, but I always sort of sympathized with a lot of their arguments with the thinking that hey, none of this has real world application. Like, <laughs> like I think the, girl, the gold bugs are right, but as we found time and time again, their advice is terrible, um, which well, that was sort of my where, where I was at for, for many years, even though I had heard about Bitcoin for a long time. I was a big fan of like Tom Woods, who would talk about it on his podcast for for many years. I mean, he had Eric Voorhees on in like 2012, 2013. I, I remember hearing about it all the way back then and just thinking that this was sort of an interesting um, development and something worth following, but no, there's no like, there's it's not a it's not a useful part of anybody's financial plan yet or, or mine. Um, and so that's what happened. And uh, I think over the years, a couple of things changed my mind. Um, and I was one of these guys, I've always, I was sort of a stock picker, but I had kind of come around to this idea, which a lot, most financial planners do, that, you know, maybe the, the thing that people should do, it, most people should probably just buy some sort of modern portfolio theory mix of, of index funds, keep the cost low. And the question you need to decide is what is your, your mix of stocks and bonds? And that is probably the most you can do to impact your investment results. And I, I had kind of come around to that. Um, but I, but then I, but then I sort of changed my mind on that as well too. And I had a bit of falling, falling out with like the modern portfolio theory stuff. Um, and so long story short, what, what I had come around to was that the idea that, you know, the Warren Buffett thing about, Hey, if you have five, if you own five good businesses, what is the point of diversifying into your sixth? If you have a real understanding of those five businesses. And I was like, that's a pretty simple framework. And there's a little bit of wisdom behind that. Or you think about like, um, like I'm from a small, smallish town, medium sized town, I would say in, in the state of Iowa. And like in our town, there's all these like business owners. They have like, you know, three to eight local locally owned businesses, you know, they'll own like some apartments or some, like a florist or a small manufacturer, like a tool and die business. And you would say, well, you know, okay, they only own like six companies, but nobody would say that they're undiversified. So what I'm saying is my framework, my investing framework changed. I was sort of getting out of the modern portfolio theory and starting to think like, you know, maybe as a younger person, I don't need to be doing the target date fund or something like that personally. And then I started talking about this with my younger clients and that opened opened up the possibility to me that like, like hey, there can be a, an allocation to something like Bitcoin. Why not? You're, you're already sort of, um, you know, red pilling on the conventional advice anyway. So I was open to it. And then 2020 happened. And like a lot of folks, um, that was that was a time where 
I was told early in my career that 2008 was a once in a lifetime event. Like that's what my mentors told me. We found out that that wasn't the case. Like 2008 was going to keep, keep kind of happening over and over again. I think that that was how I viewed 2020. And so at that time I looked at gold and I looked at, um, Bitcoin and other crypto, uh, which we don't need to get into, but, um, but came around to the idea that, yeah, Hey, Bitcoin is the thing. This is worth, it's worth owning. It's has potential, for regular households that don't need to worry about how to, you know, trading strategies. Like it's sort of a re a re um, reimagining of what savings could be. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's how we ended up here. That's how we met guys. (laughs) Absolutely. And Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to let Trent talk at some point, but I have to ask, because you you mentioned, you know, kind of an investing lens. And then you've talked about there at the end of a savings lens. And I think this is interesting because I get asked this a lot. Is Bitcoin a savings mechanism or is it an investment? How do you answer that? Or how do you think about it? I think it's helpful to call to talk about how Bitcoin is savings for the purpose of explaining what what is the use case of Bitcoin. <laughs> um, often, t- I, you know, I think it's pretty easy to get caught in that trap of thinking, well, I mean, this is pretty interesting. We understand your, you know, libertarian fantasies that you have, Isaiah and Trent. However, nobody is accepting Bitcoin at their places of establishment right now. So clearly we're not there yet. And I think what's helpful about the Bitcoin is savings meme is that it explains that actually savings is a use and Hmm. perhaps it's the first use. It's the most, it's the foundational thing that is going to get in the path of monetization, that's going to get us to the place of where, you know, a lot of us think of money as being the the medium of exchange. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think it's a helpful precursor in terms of the education. Now, what I'm finding in working with families is most families are, uh, that I work with at least, are rightfully thinking of it as more of like an earlier stage speculative bet on the future uh, global reserve currency. Um you know, I, I have met a few of the sort of um, folks that are not, you know, trying to make it 100% of their savings. And um, that's an interesting, that's an interesting development and uh, not something I necessarily recommend. But um, I would say for the most part, people are viewing it as more of a earlier stage speculative investment on the global reserve currency, but it is money. So <laughs> it's kind of both, I guess, right? I think that's a trap that advisors fall into yeah. trying to figure out how do you want to frame it. So I was like, you, yeah. you touched on it both ways and I've done the same thing. I'm like, Ooh, I got to ask. So Trent, what do you want to, yeah. what do you want to dive into? I I think that the savings meme is very valiant. You know, I think it's great to sort of flip what you think you know about savings on its head. But when you're, you know, conversing with people that are not Bitcoiners yet, don't even own it yet. And you tell them that it's a savings technology, it's not an investment. I think that falls on a lot of deaf ears. So uh, I think that's sort of like a a, a um, mindset that you can introduce later on, uh, because like at the end of the goal, like what you're trying to say that yeah, Bitcoin is money, and um, you know I'm saving in this technology that respects uh, my time over a long time frame. Uh, so I think that yeah, when when you're first when you're having those first conversations it's a really big leap to make that i know bitcoin is savings it's not an investment what are you talking about <laughs> andy you had uh, written an article that i think probably made you a lot of friends in the uh, advisor community with the uh, you know the index fund piece for bitcoin magazine uh, i personally liked it and you touched on it a little bit how you've gone back and forth um can you, as deep as you want to go or as high level as you want to go, kind of outline and articulate your rationale for that? Because I think it is really interesting where going back to savings, I think most Americans today is, you know, VTI or SPY. These are savings vehicles now. These are not technically investments because people put it on auto. They do not care what happens. They just put money there because they know they have to keep up with it. And if you look at, uh, I think, Block, Blockware Solutions had a really good chart that Sailor used at Bitcoin Prague recently that showed kind of like, hey, the money, the money supply growth in the S and P, and you can see that um, really, really tied together. The same thing Ed Yardini puts out monthly charts with the central bank balance sheet, and you overlay that to the S and P, and it pretty much matches it. Um, but I, I would love to, for folks a to read your piece, but can you kind of outline your thoughts on index funds 
and and what your thoughts were there. Yeah, I think the way we ended up titling it was Bit this is why Bitcoin will kill index funds and where I'm coming from with this, and admittedly, like I do have a little bit of a contrarian streak. I, I try not to be a contrarian for contrarian's sake. And as I alluded to earlier, um, if you're hardcore in like a macro bro or like a gold bug, you've been wrong for a long time um, in terms of like how to um, how to invest, for example. Um, and so I I don't want to give people the impression that I'm saying that you need to buy guns and gold and sell all your index funds. But what I am saying is, is a concept. Um, I think, I think it, the idea that index funds is the appropriate strategy for everyone and we should promote this and the government should promote it um, with their partnership with folks like BlackRock, which is, you know, very much, um, very much interlinked. Um, is a little bit unquestioned. Like it's kind of unquestioned personal finance advice that is viewed as like a foundational principle that um, if you question it, you're like, you know, Rick Ferry is going to come at you and say, oh, you're, you're, you're in bed with Wall Street or something like that. Look how this guy is compensated. Clearly he has nothing interesting to say because he's talking smack about index funds. <laughs> and so I'm not saying there's a simple answer to this. And I'm not, I'm not even saying that like if there's index funds in your 401k, you shouldn't buy them. But I am saying as a concept, there's a few problems. So the, the example that I always like to give is like, if you, let's say you go to the, the grocery store at five o'clock on a weekday and everyone's there because they, they're trying to buy, buy their groceries after work. And it's gonna, there's going to be, um, there's going to be lines in every checkout line. But what you'll find is that those, the lines are often pretty equal. Like, like there's people look around and they say, well, that line's a little bit lighter. I'm going to go stand in that line or the line over there. That woman has like a thousand groceries. I'm not going to go stand in that line. And so there's like this kind of beautiful market taking place where there's an, uh, let's call it an efficiency or a responsiveness to what the market is telling you. And that's kind of what a market could be. Now, now you could twist that and you could say, well, I already know the market is efficient. So I'm not going to do any calculation for myself. I'm literally just going to go stand in the first line because everything's already worked itself out and I have no edge in trying to figure out where I should go stand. And now if that were to happen, you know, one or two people doing it, not a big deal. But what happens is if, if, if everyone does that, it, what happens is it's like what Jack Bogle said and towards later in his life, there's a quote, Jack Bogle, he said, I'm not exactly going to quote it, but he said, if everybody indexed, if the entire market indexed, the only word you could use is chaos. And that is what could potentially happen with the indexing phenomenon. What concerns me, and so so the response to that is, well, of course, that will never happen because someone will always be looking for an edge and, and fair enough. But, but there are market distortions when you see things like... Um, I mean, even the financial advisor community being nudged into these products by their compliance departments that are looking for ways to not get sued. Um, and that maybe that's more of their primary intention than looking for ways to just provide the best solution for their clients. Um, I mentioned that, the, you know, the sort of the gov government continuing to have more control over uh, things like 401k plans where you're, you're seeing these plans being more and more, um, the primary motivation is, again, not, not to get sued, and I understand that. Um, and so these are the sort of products that are being sort of, not necessarily chosen in the market, which is, I think, what was thought of 10 to 15 years ago. It's like, well, great, this is a market opportunity. Jack Bogle sort of broke open the doors of finance, and that's, that's great. But now I think it's sort of changing. And, and if you guys know Mike Green, he, he sort of, opened my eyes about that a few years ago. I'm not saying you should listen to everything Mike Green says, but he was the <laughs> one that was sort of popularizing some of these ideas. I don't even think he came up with them himself, but but that's sort of the idea. The, the other thing to think about with um, the index fund phenomenon is that it really has been captured by like one or two players. So it's, it's BlackRock, mm -hmm. it's Vanguard. And you have to consider sometimes like, is that a good thing? Do we want... Do we want there to be sort of one beast in town that owns the majority of these publicly traded companies and has influence over these uh, things like boards of directors? And so 
that is sort of how I came to a little bit of my falling out with BlackRock. And by the way, I used to recommend iShares. So it's like, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm holier than thou. Like this has been a, a journey for me as well too. But now it's like, well, Hey, we've got Bitcoin. So, so why, why do we even need to do this sort of nihilistic investing where you're sort of passively, passively allocating to some index, having no understanding as to how it's created, no understanding as to what's under the hood, what these companies are up to. Now you get to more of a pure passive approach and just you, you put it in actual savings um, or actual money, perhaps, if, if we don't like to use the word savings. But, but um, And so I think that is um, a more intuitive thing for me to get to wrap my head around. Once I had the the falling out with the indexing strategies, mm-hmm. yeah the uh, the Grant Williams Mike Green podcast on passive investing literally melted my brain the first time I heard it, and I mm-hmm. listened to it multiple times, and I never listened to podcasts multiple times. Um, but it's a yes. really excellent one for people to do, and I'll make a, a note to include it. And it's probably two or three years old now. Um, it's probably maybe even older than that, but it was an excellent episode. And yeah, you bringing that up. I don't know if that's the same one you remember listening to, but it was so good. Um, yeah. You know, I, I used to listen to that, that guy and the, uh, who's the Demetrius, Demetri Kofinas, um, yep. hidden forces. Yep. He does a lot of that too. And I try not to go too far down the macro doom path because I mean, even in like 2019, my, Mike Green was talking about how, oh, the indexing bubble is going to lead, lead to the next, um, you know, macro doom phenomenon. And that never really panned out, you know, like you could say like, well, indexing is influencing certain things and maybe it's making the, the, the giant companies even more giant at the expense of some of the larger businesses and sort of contributing to that Cantillon effect. I don't know, but I, it never led to maybe the sort of doom and gloom scenario that he was talking about. So... Um, I think about it. So my, my, my message is maybe a little bit more subtle and a little bit more toned down than Mike Green, but it is helpful in getting the message across for sure. Yeah. And it's funny you say that because I'm looking at a chart right now from Charlie Bilello, uh, probably pronouncing that name wrong, but, uh, just sent it out this weekend that the top five companies in the S and P 500 now represent almost 25% of the market cap weighted index of the S&P, which is an all-time high. And that hasn't been a secret for many financial planners for a while, but I feel like it's a secret, not necessarily a secret, but it's it's not well known throughout the retail space. And I think that the really interesting point that you're trying to make with that article, Andy, is that like uh, index funds are a savings technology. They're not an investment technology. You're literally trying to replicate the market. You're not trying to beat the market. And the the thing that and that that's what broke my worldview too is like why do we why are we forced to save or invest in these types of indexes when we could just hold better money? Uh, so I think that yeah, that's that's it's not like Andy's saying you you should never buy an, an ETF, an index fund, et cetera. It's more like, why are we doing this in the first place? Why are, why are we forced into this, into this option in the first place? And I think it's important to also understand why did market cap weighting get selected? And Wisdom Tree has written a really good article, but it goes back to computational power in the 70s. They wanted to do something different, but it was too hard to, to make it scale and work well. So it was like, market mm. cap weighting works. Let's run with that. Mm. So there's no rhyme or reason why it works. Um, it just happened and evolved and no one questioned it. And so now it's the de facto, this is the right solution. And it's funny where if you ask people how they got selected, they're like, well, I don't know. It's like, what do you think is the best way? Sure. It's like, it actually wasn't. They told you that when they selected it. But again, I think Andy's point spot on too. You can be a doom and gloomer macro person. It's like, do you want to be right or do you want to make money? I think that's the question, right? Do you want to be right or do you want to make money? I think for most people are like, I just want to make money. Like mm-hmm. I want to be able to save and I want to be able to retire and I don't want to do this forever. And so if that's buying QQQ or SPY, I'm cool with that. So like, you know, Isaiah, shut up and just let me buy this and quit, quit squawking, <laughs> you know, like that's the, that's the takeaway. I feel like a lot of people and a lot of advisors will tell you, I want to focus on planning, not investing. And I, I laugh at that because the idea of what Bitcoin can do for planning is incredible. And I would love to kind of shift a little bit there. Um, Cause Andy, you talked about working with the younger families how does Bitcoin and, and financial planning for younger families fit? And why do you think it fits? Yeah, yeah. I, 
I am. Okay. So, so one of the things that I have noticed, and so let me say this, because if if we're talking to other financial planners here, um, I want to give credit to the sort of burgeoning, um, small RIA movement for opening my eyes to this and even XYPN, which we could criticize, but I think they've done an, a, a really useful thing for me in sort of opening my eyes to the idea that there could be sort of like um, innovation in the financial advisor community, um, which yep. I think is maybe lacking in times, you know, it's like, like maybe we're more of a mature industry than, than we would like to admit. But um, I think the uh, kind of the XY crowd, the the small, nimble solo advisor space or the smaller teams have sort of opened my eyes that there could be innovation. And um, from a pragmatic point, so I, by the way, I this is like the, I think I told you guys, like this is the most beautiful combination of like a passion and an actual real world application that I've had in my entire career since 2010. But from a pragmatic point of view, um, what I am seeing is a lot of demand for the work that I, that I do as a financial planner. Um, and so like what I do is I, I'll take families through a financial planning process. I'll charge, I'll charge a standalone fee that isn't contingent on a product sale or asset gathering. And, um, and I'm completely booked. Like I have a limited uh, ability to take on new business right now which is wonderful. Um, that was when I started my firm. Um, that was what I had hoped I would get to. Um, and, uh, what I'm discovering is, you know, people just like, there, there are plenty of people out there around the country that want to talk to a financial planner that understands how the systems systems work, understand what the decisions are that they need to make and what, maybe what they haven't thought of. And they're willing to pay for the willing to pay a fee for it. That's been very, very exciting for me. So let's just talk pragmatically here. Like if you're like an aspiring advisor that wants to make a nice living, um, that's what I'm seeing in the market right now. I don't know, I don't know what, what your guys' perspective is on that. So, um, you know, everyone talks about getting a niche. Sometimes I think people try to shoehorn themselves into some sort of niche that they think is going to be hot or going to be help, you know, going to be the place to be right now. Maybe it is, maybe there isn't, but maybe like they aren't super interested in it. Like this to me, this is sort of a beautiful place to be because not only is it a real passion of mine, which isn't necessarily a reason why I should do this. Like there should be some sort of passion plus market opportunity. And, but there definitely is like, even in the bear market, even with, um, you know, Bitcoin at 60% below its all time highs. Um, my schedule is full right now and having conversations with these young families. And I think it's, um, I think it's a great time. Like I, early in my career, you know, occasionally I would come across these like um, older client relationships at the various firms I used to work at. And um, it would be like, Hey, this is an account or a family that's been at this firm for decades. They have been holding XYZ mutual fund for 40 years or XYZ stock for four, or no, it would be like, um, it's a brokerage account. They've got 10 stocks. Three of them went out of business. Two of them are worth pennies on the dollar. And then like one or two of them totally went through the roof and they just never sold, you know, like that sort of thing. And you meet with the, you meet with the guy and he's like, yeah, I just never sold. I'm not going to sell. So anything you tell me isn't going to work because <laughs> I was sold on this XYZ mutual fund 40 years ago. Why would I sell it? Why would I pay you a management fee to sell this mutual or to manage this for me? And I kind of respected that, you know, it's like, you're, I'm like, you're kind of right, you know, but that could be the, that could be what Bitcoin is for, for me, you know, like in, in 30 years, if we're, we're right about this thing, that is one piece of advice. That is me taking a real opinion on something and not just being some passive, like, yeah, maybe you should have an 80-20 portfolio or maybe it should be 60-40. Like, you're not really having a real opinion. Um, and it could change somebody's life if it does anywhere in the ballpark of what we think. Or if it even just does, like, if it has decent market-beating returns um, in a way that some, you know, nice mutual fund or stock would have had 30 to 40 years ago for some of these folks that I used to interact with. So that is, that is what gets me very excited. Like I want to make an impact. Um, I want it to be meaningful. I think, especially if you're working with young families, it's a grave responsibility because 
if you limit somebody's potential or somebody's ceiling, um, like what if somebody told Mark Zuckerberg to, to, to diversify his portfolio, you know, in like 2006 or something like that, that would have been a grave error by that financial planner who thought he was doing the right thing by like limiting Mark Zuckerberg's ceiling. And so I think about that a lot in working with younger families. It makes sense because that's who I am. I take risks in my own personal life. Um, hopefully they're prudent risks, but I think you sort of have to, as you're older um, and you're you know in retirement, you're not working anymore, there's fewer of those types, types of larger risks that you can take, but maybe the advice is a little bit easier because there's only so much you can do. So that is sort of the burden that I, that I think about that I think Bitcoin sort of fits with perfectly in that, yes, it is a risk, but maybe at this point in the life cycle of Bitcoin, it is a, a risk worth taking where the upside is more than the downside. Mm-hmm. So Andy, you mentioned your full schedule of young families that want to work with you. You know, that makes a lot of sense to me. So what do you attribute that to? Do you attribute it to your probably at this point, uh, unique fee schedule of a flat fee? Do you attribute it to your soothing podcast voice or is it your opinion <laughs> on Bitcoin? Here's the other thing that nobody wants to talk about, but I'm just going to say this. So the other thing about Bitcoin is there's a brand. So like you're, you're, you're like automatically, if you're on Twitter, if you're in the podcasting, like, like for me, by inviting the Andy Edstroms and the Michael Goldsteins and the Trents on the Morgan Richards on my podcast, that has sort of plugged me into a existing community. And so mm-hmm. you guys are doing the same. You, you, you guys probably haven't articulated this way. Maybe you will. I sort of stumbled into it. And then it, I was like, oh, like, look at this. I'm like making these relationships. That has opened m- my practice up to a whole community of individuals that are looking for this service. So um, I think that's the other piece to it. Like it's not just, you know, writing a blog post and hoping that I'm going to capture some SEO traffic or um, writing some tweet and hope that it goes viral by using the appropriate hashtags. It's actually like making real relationships in an existing, very vibrant, real community, um, which I would call like the Bitcoin maximalist, the Bitcoin only, the, uh, the Bitcoin monetary maximalist, whatever you want to call it. Um, I've sort of been able to tap into some of that. And um, I think that's been very helpful for my practice. Yeah, it's it's threads, right? The hashtags are out on Twitter. So, <laughs> yeah. right, so, so we, know that, we know that that's not how you're getting them, right? Yeah. We know that. Um, but I, I agree. I mean, there is, a, there is a brand to Bitcoin and there is something to say you know, when I looked at saying, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna put Bitcoin next to the personal brand that is that is Isaiah," it fits right. And what that looks like to me is integrity, seeking truth, being honest and open, and being transparent. And it's like it, that's gonna attract a certain type of person. And mm-hmm. I think for for an advisor, and especially like you talked about XYPN, I was an XYPN advisor. That's where I started my firm. Through I have nothing but great things to say. I would encourage, and I hope someone that is an XYPN listener hears this. XYPN is the ideal place that Bitcoin should be adopted because those are advisors that truly care, want the best for their clients and are will work their tail off. And it's great. And it's like Bitcoin fits so perfectly for what they're trying to do, which is, hey, be a long-term you know, investor or saver, do the right things, have really good planning next to your, your um, you know, investment strategy. Buying, holding, self-custody Bitcoin, it's pretty simple. It's not easy. But if you have a long-term horizon, like Bitcoin is life-changing. And I think that's the beautiful thing about it is, like you talked about, Andy, if we're correct, and I will personally say I am not um, I'm not unsure of where I think Bitcoin goes. I'm fairly positive what will continue to happen. Um, the timelines sometimes get stretched. But even you had a, a podcast, and I would be curious, and I should have listened to it, so I'm kicking myself or not, so I should have more information. You recorded a podcast talking about, could Bitcoin be a 100-bagger? Right. There's these like, oh, if I buy this stock and it goes up this, like you read these stories of people that that did that. Um, to me, Bitcoin's ceiling or sorry, Bitcoin's floor is so high that it's like Bitcoin can fail and still be life changing for so many people because it's so darn early. Right. Um, anyways, there's just I agree. Like there's so many advisors that want to do the right thing that are striving, but they look at Bitcoin in almost like this negative lens. And at some point, the the flip get or that switch gets flipped 
and the light bulb comes on, but um, we're not quite there yet. And it's mm-hmm. slowly happening. And Trent and I have seen it, and I'm sure you've yeah. seen it as well, but it, it'll, it'll happen. Well, it's just what you said earlier, Andy. Uh, do you want to make money or do you want to be right? You know, and most people are just going along the lines of, I want to make money. And I think that's the same way that financial planners are kind of viewing this nascent technology that no one really knows about. And it seems like only criminals are using it. Uh, it's, it's probably nothing. You know, it's too much mm-hmm. of a reputational risk to be an outspoken proponent of Bitcoin. But, you know, the brand of Bitcoiners are super loyal. And I think to other Bitcoiners. Now you can't you can't misstep and say some pretty crazy things, or or you'll be put on blast. But Bitcoiners want to support other Bitcoiners, whether it's financial planning or um, you know buying beef from somebody local. Like they'll pay you in in Bitcoin. Uh, so Bitcoiners will be your biggest cheerleader if you embrace that group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I totally agree, and it's uh, it's um. It's a, it's a great community too. Like these are, it's, um, you know, you can make fun of the maxis for, um, you know, some of the, the more radical ideas, but I think that's really, it's a really helpful thing in sort of, um, uh, creating this, you know, um, hodlers, the, the hodlers of last resort that will never sell. Like we just, we need that to happen. And by the way, this happens with, um, this happens with Berkshire Hathaway, right? Like how many people show up to the Berkshire, Berkshire conference every year? There's just mm-hmm. a great brand around that investment. Like people should understand that there is a, there's value in that. Um, think about like in the financial advisor community, like maybe they've had their falling out, but like there's the dimensional funds, right? Um, that there are certain advisors that that's just the only thing that they talk about and they, they drink, mm-hmm. they drink the Kool-Aid if you will. And, um, that's not exactly my, my, my cup, but there is value in sort of having that conviction and, and, and what the brand brings. And so, um, what's beautiful about Bitcoin is this was created by, by not one person. There's, there's no uh, marketing department that created this quote unquote brand. It just sort of happened mm-hmm. it's sort of like this beautiful free market com- phenomenon, which is, I think is maybe why it's another one of the reasons why it's the most exciting thing that's happened in my entire career. You're not selling a product. You're, you're, you're plugging into this ethos and um, it's a beautiful thing. Andy, what do you think is a, a concept within Bitcoin that a lot of advisors probably fail to grasp that would be really important for them to get that maybe we haven't touched on or maybe we have already? Well, you know, I think, I think, um, and this is a hang up that I had a lot as well too. Um, but I think people fall into the trap of thinking that, oh, the framework that you're coming from here is like, I have to be Kathy Wood or I have to be Jim Cramer. And you're trying to, you're, like what you're doing um, is by, by, by investing in Bitcoin, you're switching your strategy from modern portfolio theory to like now, hey, the strategy I'm doing is just always trying to find the next big technology. And that's actually not, that's not the case, but I sort of get it because like I'm, I've been trying to come to terms with Tesla, um, which is like maybe another version of this to some extent. Um, If you think about it, and and by the way, I'm just not a Tesla fan. I'm just, I don't like it. You know, I, and that's just my personal preference, but there's like, Tesla has a lot going for it. I mean, it's a, it's a, there's a founder with skin in the game um, who has huge balls, which doesn't always happen, you know, like in finance anymore, like someone that takes Mm -hmm. a lot of, a lot of risks. Like there's something to admire about what Elon does in that regard. There's a loyal fan base. There's a good brand maybe that's not as much as it used to be, but you see what I mean? Uh, some of the best engineers in the world go to work for Tesla. So like there is a case for Tesla, but I just don't like it. Like I, I understand why people are skeptical of the Tesla fanboys. And I think people lump Bitcoin into that sort of category. Um, like when I think about Tesla, I think about like they, the cars look kind of tacky. Um, to me, it's like getting to like this place where your your transportation is like, perpetually renting you're never fixing it it's like an iphone on wheels and i and i understand the the reasoning for it but i just don't like it that's just not my thing you know and so what what i did was i i read a biography on elon and i read the wait but why um blog series on tesla um or I think it was on Elon Musk that that wait, but why guy did. Cause I was like, okay, if Bitcoin taught me anything, it was that maybe I don't understand everything as well as I think I do. 
And so what I would say is, um, you know, if you're an advisor that's skeptical, um, re- read the bull cases and, um, and try to understand why it might be worth considering if you think that, well, I, I'm just not going to be Jim Cramer. Like my job is not to find the next hot stock all the time. And mm-hmm. I think what's different about Bitcoin is that unlike a Tesla or an AI or early in my career, it was like nanotechnology or solar. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the things that was going on in the early 2010s um, that were like the example of this. With what's with Bitcoin is it's potentially the next financial system. So if you're an advisor that's literally working in finance, um, coming up, coming on this, coming upon this question of like, are we seeing the next financial system like taking over the existing financial system? Like you kind of have to have an opinion about that, as you say, Trent. Like we're, we're at this place where it's like, um, it's not just thinking about then you know what the next hot stock is or the next technology that's worth investing in is it's like this could be the next financial system so if you're working in finance you kind of have to pay attention and so i think that mm-hmm. maybe that's the difference yeah two two things real quick and then Trent, i'll throw it over to you first andy the the dislike of tesla sounds just like the uh the mike green anti-bitcoin did your wife want you to buy some tesla when it was like 25 bucks and you just missed out <laughs> is that why the hate or uh yeah 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 um, no, but I, I, we keep picking on Mike or complimenting, but then right. picking. So I had to, yeah, that's right. it sounds just like that where everyone loves to, to bash him. The other one is you talked about it as an advisor. And I think this is unique to advisors. Let's talk about advisors, you know, personal accounts. I've always been very transparent with clients like, Hey, this is kind of my, the way I think about personal investing. If you're an advisor, you own a firm that's a legacy, um, finance, traditional finance, and you have just index funds and your clients have just index funds, you own an RA you should be heavily allocated to Bitcoin to diversify against the risk of if that no longer works. Because it's the same idea that like Meb Faber's talked about, like you are so levered to your income, your business, all these things are the traditional system. You need to buy something else. Maybe that is real estate. Maybe that's old, you know, relics like gold. But I would tell you Bitcoin is the thing that, that likely is, is a part of the allocation you need to have. So even from an advisor and their PA, shoot, you need to own some Bitcoin and I think that's the best way to, to learn about it is to have a little skin in the game, as you talked about, and then you can learn and then you can teach your clients. So just a mm-hmm. couple thoughts from your, your, your quick uh, overview. Yeah. And, and, you know, at least Meb Faber has an answer. Like usually the answer you hear to that question is like, well, if that happens, if the dollar loses its global reserve currency, we're going to have bigger problems than what happens to your investment portfolio. And so they're really, it's really not an answer. It's just more a dismissive comment on, um, on like the bigger problems that we're going to have. And so I, I agree, like you at least have, have to have an answer and, um, maybe it's not Bitcoin. Like to me, I, I think it's Bitcoin makes perfect sense, but, um, but yeah, Meb Faber has his managed future strategies or whatever it is that he's doing, um, to combat tail risk. And so that's, um, that's something everyone should at least be considering for sure. Yeah. So Andy, tell us about your practice a little bit. You know, uh, some people that are listening to this might be curious about how to uh, get themselves and or their clients um, exposure to Bitcoin. Uh, maybe it's the BlackRock ETF coming out. Uh, but talk us through a little bit about how those conversations arise. Like, are people coming to you as Bitcoiners, or are you kind of sitting them down from square one? Is it everybody? Take that question wherever you want. It's a little different since I'm like a growing firm. Um, there are what you would call um, sort of conventional um, families that I've been working with for forever, you know, for a number of years now. And and I do have sort of like a static allocation um, that I'm sort of recommending to these families that you know, they don't really have a lot of conviction. They're not necessarily um, as knowledgeable as what we would like to be, but you know, as an advisor, your job is, is to sort of help them come up with some sort of allocation. Um, and then, and then I have the other families that have come to me since I've sort of stuck my neck out there and taken on a little bit of reputation, reputational risk, as you called it earlier, Trent. And, uh, and that's a little bit different because like w- what I think is if somebody has conviction, I have more leeway to be able to say, you know what, like, I know this is an allocation that's a hell of a lot higher than what you might say in polite company around other CFPs, but mm-hmm. you're young, you're working, um, 
the amount that you have in magic internet money today is only a small percentage of what we think your future net worth will be. Um, and so for example, like if you, if you are first job, first job out of college and you are, um, uh, maybe, maybe you've paid off your student loan debt, maybe not, but you're looking for that first place where you should make an investment after you've, you know, developed your emergency fund or something like that. You're, you're, you're going to make a, a, a Bitcoin purchase. Like at that point, yes, your portfolio is 100% Bitcoin. Is that wrong? Mm-hmm. Like, like it's a small, it's a small allocation. Um, it's, uh, with the understanding that yes, sir, maybe down the road it's probably worth doing a little bit of diversification. But you know, as a young person, um, what is it to have a sort of oversized portfolio allocation? So that's that's sort of the under. Like I'm sort of wearing two hats here. It's like I have yeah. sort of this traditional um, static allocations that we do for folks that I'm assuming don't have a lot of knowledge, even though some of them have come around to it since I've sort of stuck my neck out there. Mm-hmm. And then others that come to me with the conviction they know more than I do. And they're just looking for someone that can say, "Hey, how do we how do we do a Roth conversion? Um, do we do a trustee to trustee transfer to this Bitcoin IRA, or is it going to be a sixty, a 60 rate a, a rollover event?" Um, and they just they're looking for someone that can answer these questions, um, and that's what I'm finding. So it's sort of two different stories. So in Category A, yeah, I've I've, I've orange pilled some folks, and that's been pretty cool. That's a lot of that's happened, not necessarily in in just in one on one conversations, but like in my podcast. Mm. Like I find people come to me, and it's like, hey, I've been listening to what you're doing. I'm ready to rock and roll. That's really cool. The really cool thing about the podcasting movement. Um, and then I've had other families that um, have said, you know, I I understand that you're excited about this, but look, it's just not for me. And um, yeah. look, it's your money. Like at the end of the day. Um, I could be wrong about this. And what I want to do as a, as a planner is to empower people to take control over their own finances. And so mm-hmm. if somebody wants to, to not own Bitcoin, um, I understand that I might not be the right advisor for them. And that's why there's, there's plenty of other advisors at a XYPN or whatever the case may be. But, um, but yeah, that's sort of how I'm approaching the, the topic right now. And just for my selfish curiosity, uh, Andy and I were both located in Kansas City. So these people that are listening to your podcast, and you have a great Kansas City brand also. I mean, heck, he gave a presentation at our Kansas City Bitcoin Day on Austrian economics history rooted in Kansas City. It was oh, yeah. Fantastic. Uh, so are these new clients that you're helping out with, are they predominantly located in Kansas City or are they coming from all over? Yeah, I think, I think Isaiah, I don't know what your perspective is on this, but I think one of the best things I did in starting my firm is that years ago, I just started planting seeds. Um, not, you know, so I did a podcast, which is what's really inspiring to me about doing that is like, it's not that big. Like I get like a few, like I get like 300 listeners on like any given episode, which is not a lot um, compared to like a big podcast or something. But, but I get an email a week of people from around the country that somehow stumble upon this thing. I don't know how necessarily. And they've listened to 10 episodes and like, Hey man, I, I'm with you 100%. Like that's sort of the, that's the sort of connection you get with these people listening to your podcast. So that's, it's really cool. So it's all over the country and then just, you know, planting seeds at the local level. Like I'm involved in my community. Um, I'm shaking hands and kissing babies with people like Trent (laughs) and, uh, and, uh, and I do it just like, as you know, like, I just like enjoy being involved and I, I'm not, um, cheesy enough or a good enough salesperson to like pitch people. But mm-hmm. what happens is eventually that some of that comes back to me in, in terms of like, hey, man, like I remember that you and I met at such and such event. And, you know, my buddy Eugene tells me you're a Bitcoiner, had no idea. You know, grandma left us 500 grand and we're looking for some decisions. And so that's mm-hmm. been a helpful thing for me that has nothing to do with a podcast, but just like having a firm for a few years, having a little bit of an independent streak, having an opinion and some of these like unique opinions, they make me more referable than um, XYZ financial planner that isn't talking as much smack on Twitter as I am. Hmm. Yeah. I, I would say anytime you put content out, if you're authentic and you're you, people self-select and they're going to pick you based on things. Like they, It's not coming and saying, hey, Andy, I think I want to work with you or I want to check you out. It's, 
I already know I want to work with you. Are you taking on clients and when, and how do we make that happen? And that's a really cool experience yeah. when people tell you like, we're going to work together. Uh, I'm just trying to make sure I understand all the details involved with that and just let me know, like, will you work with me? It's a, it's a really cool experience when you start to have those conversations. And yeah, I, I think earlier you talked about like picking a niche versus having a brand, like there's lots of different ways. So like for me, the, the whole veterinary medicine piece has been a niche and it's because a, those people are awesome people, but same thing. I mean, there's clients that I've had in Vermont, um, uh, in Alaska, in Washington state, Texas, Florida, Arkansas, wow. and I live in Indiana and it's like, they're from all over. It doesn't matter because the That's podcast awesome. is, is, you know, like you said, they can download it and hear it and it might be a touch point there and someone else recommends and like you don't know where and how they always, uh, find you, but it is because there, there's an opinion and there's some things that are shared, which I think is really, really important. The, the, the one thing I'll say about that is, um, I do have like this sort of pipe dream that I think I've talked to you, Trent, about it is like, there should be an Edward Jones of Bitcoin. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> there should just be like, uh, you know, some quaint little downtown area like Parkville in my next to the neck of the woods where there's some office, you know, it used to be an Edward Jones where the, you know, the young advisor used to like knock on doors in the neighborhood and sell American funds. That mm-hmm. should just be a Bitcoin office now, you know, <laughs> where some, some advisor is now setting up unchained multi-sig um, uh, vaults for boomers in the, in the area. Um, maybe that's my, my next journey, but I think it, it has been um, helpful for me to be online and being be taking business from all over right now. Yeah. So as we, we close, I always love to ask piece of content that you think would be helpful for advisors, a blog, a podcast, a book, a video that's not yours. So something that, that you don't, you haven't created that's been impactful that you think would be uh, important for an advisor to read anything. And before uh, you answer that, Andy, I am going to mention a piece that is yours. And that is the reformed financial advisor episode with Nick Newman, uh, talking about self custodying Bitcoin. I think that is a Awesome, awesome beginner one hundred and one uh, type of uh, conversations to have with clients and just how to custody Bitcoin. So now I'll let you. Uh, now I'll let you go. Yeah, and Nick Nick is from Kansas City, by the way. So we yes, met he here is. in person, and uh, yeah, another another example of sort of like the generosity of plugging yourself into this community, um, the people you can you can meet. So that's been great. Here's the one that I I um I have been sort of lapping up lately. It's um. Let me put this next to the camera here. It's this guy, mm. Alan Farrington. And by the way, I actually read the whole thing. I heard <laughs> I heard Alan Farrington say on, on a podcast that he's never read his own book. Um, <laughs> I did get through it. But it's it's uh, it's pretty dense. And what, what I like about it is um, it's sort of a Trojan horse in that the book is not explicitly about Bitcoin, but he is critiquing sort of um, the modern economy and he's drawing from like um, some of these voices that people know about, but they're sort of under the radar, like your Wendell Berries and your, um, oh, like uh, Roger Scruton. Um, he's, uh, he, he's very much steeped in Austrian economics and he's sort of popularizing some of these ideas that, um, you know, maybe you could say conservatives like myself are familiar with. And he's like bringing them to Bitcoin, which is really cool. Um, and it's challenging. Like I, it, the essays are challenging. Um, I'm not going to say that I understand all of it, but I think it's, I think it's the Bitcoin book that's made me think about, um, uh, open up my mind to so many different ideas as to like what the potential for Bitcoin to do is. Um, my favorite Bitcoin book is the, is, uh, the, the Bitcoin standard by safety safety Namus. But if you're kind of want to stay in that path of like, um, you know, not necessarily the technology of Bitcoin, but, but what it means that Bitcoin is money. Um, Bitcoin in Venice, Venice sort of blows up the idea as to what's wrong with the current financial system, um, what the problems are, and how Bitcoin could potentially fix it. And so that has been mm-hmm. my, uh, my favorite read over the last year. I read every, like, every time that guy puts out an essay, I, I make sure to read it. And so he's my favorite uh, voice right now in the space. Did, did you read his essay this past weekend? On the I did, yeah. The, the yeah. ETF, yeah. I haven't yeah. read it yet. I did, yeah. It's very good. It's on the list. It's very good. It's it's yeah. worth reading. He he's um he's picking apart the structure of the ETF that BlackRock filed, which my understanding is it's a thirty three act fund and not a forty act fund, 
and he's trying to extrapolate what the implications of that will be. Mm-hmm. And long story short, his concern is that it's going to um, it's going to result in what he says is finance jargon, but uh, like a metric fuck ton of assets that will essentially create um, a owner of Bitcoin in the space that is going to be similar to what happened with index funds, where it's so big that this could become a real problem. And um, mm-hmm. I won't try to articulate exactly the, the nuance that he tries to describe what that, how that problem will come to be. But um, yeah, it's very interesting. I don't know yeah. if I understand it completely. I don't know if I necessarily agree with it or disagree, but um, certainly worth uh, checking out for sure for advisors. Yeah. And I think that's such a perfect way to end this podcast episode because financial advisors might be thinking BlackRock, Bitcoin ETF, that's perfect. Now I can get my clients allocated to it, but it's so much more than that. And you don't really realize how much more it is until you take that step down the proverbial Bitcoin rabbit hole into understanding why self-custodying this bearer asset is so important. 100%. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, I, I am. I think one of the, the beautiful things about... Um, you know, focusing on financial planning is you can view um, things like self-custody or collaborative custody as a planning opportunity and you don't have to view it as an asset gathering opportunity. Um, yep. Amen so, to that. You know, I, I have, I have, I kind of in both worlds, like I have an AUM business um, that's been helpful for me to get my firm off the ground. But on the other hand, I do, I do uh, financial planning. Um, and uh, I have to say, like, I, totally um am appreciative of the idea that bitcoin is not necessarily a asset gathering opportunity um or it shouldn't be perhaps yeah and um yeah i think that's if you're putting on your financial planner hat like you can totally see the opportunity there to help somebody set up a self-custody or a collaborative custody arrangement and actually take control of their money again Mm -hmm. i love it thank you andy for the time this was a fantastic discussion and and really feel like this will be meaningful to uh, a lot of our peers out there. So appreciate the time and thank you for joining us. I like what you guys are doing. Um, I'm glad you guys have teamed up. This is a, uh, a great podcast. So I'm excited to, uh, thanks for having me on and I'm excited to see um, what else you guys do with it. Yeah. Always a pleasure, Andy. Good to see you again, my friend. Take care.